Hello and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 30 of the podcast. So glad you could join me for this week's episode. We're going to be talking World Junior Championship, just as we will for most of our episodes between now and Boxing Day. Really excited to get into that time of the season. This is the first time that I've had the podcast during the World Junior kind of cycle. And so we're going to talk a lot about that. Talked a lot about it last week with Brad Schlossman with a major focus on the U.S. This week, going to talk a lot more about Team Canada and as well as a lot of questions that I got from listeners. So as I mentioned, it's episode 30. Thank you once again to everybody that has supported this podcast every step along the way. I really want to thank all the guests that I've had over time. Um, you know, we've kind of been doing guests and, and Q&As and everything else, and I'm still playing with the format as I learn how to... Uh, you know, bring you guys what you want, and your feedback is always appreciated. So feel free to hit me up on Twitter, at Chris M. Peters. You can also email me at HockeySenseWithCP at gmail.com, super professional Gmail um, address there. So, But if you have feedback for the podcast, if there's things that you like, if there's things that you don't, if there's things that you want more of, Please let me know. We'll have more guys like Brad Schlossman and Corey Promen coming back every now and again. We'll have more guests and, and a lot more from the coaching world as well. I have others that I've just kind of backlogged and, and will get there. But I want to keep the focus on the World Juniors for right now because that's the most immediate thing coming up. We're also going to talk a little bit about the Olympics um, in this podcast because as of right now, it is about as precarious a situation as I can imagine we'd be in at this point. And I also want to apologize for my my vocal performance today. I'm a little stuffy. I've just gotten over a virus, not COVID, thankfully, uh, but just got over that. And so I'm still kind of recovering a little bit. So if you hear a little bit of a difference in my voice, apologies for that, but it's the way things go. And that's also why you didn't see last week a full breakdown of Team Canada's roster for the World Junior Championship on Hockey Sense. As promised, I went uh, to Wisconsin. I went and saw the U.S. National Under-18 team play the Badgers there. I came home the next day, didn't feel great, and it was just getting hard to complete everything. So in order to uh, make sure I gave you the best content, we'll be uh, releasing that this week just before Hockey Canada's World Junior Camp opens in Calgary. Really excited. Um, I won't be at their camp, but I will certainly be following it and obviously very interested to see how that roster shapes up. A lot of controversy coming out of their roster decisions there, um, and we are going to dive into that here today. So I had Brad Schlossman last week as we broke down Team USA. I'm going to focus a little bit more this week um, uh, on Canada. As I mentioned, it's just going to be me. We're also going to have questions from a lot of Great listeners that have sent in their questions. There are many of them very World Junior specific and not just Canada or the U.S. specific, which I really appreciate. I think that if you are a NHL fan, it's really important to try and know Sweden. This year, you're going to definitely want to know Slovakia because they are going to have one of the most important teams in terms of NHL draft prospects. Um, and so we'll talk about that as well. But there's going to be a lot of things to watch in this tournament and a lot of prospects to watch. And I got some really good questions that are going to help us kind of get to the things that you guys want to hear about. So I'm, I'm thinking of these, these listeners asking these questions as kind of the representative of the listenership of Talking Hockey Sense. And I love it because some of you guys get really specific and that makes me really, really happy. All right. So before we get into anything else, I have to go through my normal spiel. 
If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the podcast, and it really, really helps. Like, If you want to give me something for Christmas this year, and I don't think that you have to, but boy, would it be nice. Uh, it is sometimes better to receive than give, I guess. I don't know. I probably shouldn't say that. But either way, if you could really help me out, it would be great if you left a written review, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts. A five-star rating, that'd be awesome. Uh, make sure to, to to leave reviews on Google Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Audible, anywhere you listen to this podcast, please leave a, a review if you enjoy it. It does help more than you know, and it's that little bit of effort on your end that helps hopefully expand our audience and allow me to do a lot more with this podcast. So I'm really looking forward to that. Still working on a bunch of different things on that front, um, but also... If you could just help me out and, and and do that, that would be super. On top of that, if you'd like to take you know another step and support my work further, you can go to Hockey Sense on Substack. That's hockeysense.substack.com. It is where all of my written work is. You can see a full Team USA camp roster breakdown. The Canada roster breakdown is on the way. That'll come right before Canada's World Junior Camp opens player-by-player analysis, things like that. There will also be a lot more. I'm going to have a full breakdown of my recent trip to see the U.S. National Under-18 team. A lot of high-end draft prospects on that roster this year, so you definitely won't want to miss that as I share my reports from the road. Um, I'm on the road a lot more now that COVID is, you know, it's still rearing its ugly head, but I'm about to get boosted and everything is is going well on that front. So not too concerned about that. But that those are the types of things that you're going to continue to get on Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack. Really appreciate everybody that has signed up. Um, we will have uh, plenty more to come. On top of that, uh, as you know, I also am writing now for dailyfaceoff.com. I write there twice a week. I also write for Betway, um, so you'll get a, a bunch of free content additionally. If you go to Daily Faceoff, you go to Betway, uh, Betway's for, for, for picks. Uh, I do a lot of my picks there uh, for NHL games. I do that twice a week. And then also uh, on Daily Faceoff, most recently I have my NHL rookie rankings for December. I also have um, uh, a USA Olympic roster projection coming out this week that this episode is dropping. I think that'll be on Friday. Um, and so there's a lot of that kind of content there, but if you are looking for really nuanced and specific kind of things, if you're a draft nerd, if you are a fan of a certain team, I'm going to continue to have very nuanced, specific stuff for, uh, the hardest of hardcore hockey fans, trying to get you a little bit closer to the prospects that you might not get to see a lot. And that's where you can get that on Hockey Sense with Chris Peters. That's hockeysense.substack.com, $6 a month, $54 a year. And if you want to be uh, look look and sound smart around uh, your, your hockey-loving friends, please do consider subscribing. It helps me out. It allows me to continue to do the work that I'm doing. Um, you know, A lot of the other stuff that I do is freelance, so this is another big portion of how I am able to continue covering prospects, which is obviously what I'm most passionate about. And I hope that uh, if you're listening to this podcast, that's probably the only reason you care who I am. Uh, so I and and I am happy to be that for you. So let's make sure that we are uh, helping each other out then. And I, I really do thank you for all the support that you've given me so far. If you've subscribed to the website or even if you've just listened to this podcast, means a lot to me. All right. As I mentioned, we have question and answer. But before we get to that, plenty to talk about. And we're going to talk about 
the Canadian roster release for their camp. Again, camp opens on December 9th. 35 players for Team Canada are going to, you know, are going to attempt to make the team. 25 will be able to make it. They already have all three goaltenders picked, so this is all about vying for those extra spots, those 22 skater spots that are available. Rosters have expanded thanks to COVID. <laughs> thanks, COVID. I mean, we don't like faking you. But because of the pandemic and because of the need for roster flexibility, those rosters have expanded. And that makes those extra two spots make a huge difference in terms of who might make those teams. And, and how teams use those spots differ greatly. But we're going to talk a lot about that right now on Talking Hockey Sense as we get set to discuss Canada's roster. And when we talk about a roster, what is the one thing that most people are going to be talking about? Well, if you followed Canada's roster announcement last week, it came out the day that we had published our initial uh, podcast about Team USA's camp roster, was that Brant Clark was not on it. Now, Brant Clark was a high pick of the, the Los Angeles Kings in the last draft, you know, a top 10 pick. You expect a guy like that to be there, especially a guy that played so well for Canada at the most recent under 18 world championship. However, He's not on the roster, and I, I go into greater detail on Hockey Sense on my my roster breakdown. But you know the things that I've gathered from you know various places is that essentially you know Hockey Canada wanted to build an older decor. I think they had enough concern about Clark's defensive play, which has been a, an issue. Um, it's not. It's not a huge issue because he's been so offensively gifted this year, and he he does a lot of things that help your team control the puck and to to, to create offense. Uh, but you know, I think that there was some concern that he was how he was going to handle the pace, especially after what happened last season to Team Canada and in the gold medal game. And if you'll recall, Team USA won that game largely because they were dominant on the forecheck, and and that was something that caught Canada by surprise is how aggressively, how how quickly, and how physically they forechecked. And now, if you know the one thing about Brant Clark, about his his playing ability, is that the, the main concern right now is his is his feet and, and his skating. And it's not so much straight ahead skating or lateral mobility. It's more defensive footwork and how he's able to make plays um, off the rush and and also how he is able to defend speed and so I think those things added up to create this thing. Now there's also been some talk. Uh, you know, Mark Mark Unetti had a very impassioned defense of the player that the Kings took, and and Mark Unetti runs the draft for the the Los Angeles Kings, and I think is one of the more bright hockey minds um, in, in the scouting industry, and I love the fact that he does speak his mind. And he told EP Ringside that, that he didn't feel it was a hockey decision, that that why Brant Clark was not on Team Canada's roster. Didn't elaborate on that, but you know, is there is there a personality thing? Is there, you know, just uh you know, how would he be able to handle the pressure? There are all these different questions that come into play. And I know that there were some concerns around some teams uh, in the interview process and things like that, just in terms of maturity and other things. Um, but not to say that, you know, he's a bad kid or anything like that. That's not, I'm not implying that at all. It's just a matter of team fit. And, you know, Hockey Canada is never going to give you a straight answer, and nor will USA Hockey for that matter, on players that they cut. It's just not how they do things. They say, we want to focus on the players that are here and all this other stuff. But really, you know, uh, it, it 
it leaves the rest of us to speculate as to why a player didn't make it. And so Brant Clark clearly not on there. The things that make this more questionable, there are only two right shot defensemen in Canada's camp right now. Um, they don't have a ton of dynamic element. There is Olin Zellweger, who actually did outplay Clark at the U18s last year. He he moved in a more substantial role, um, became their top power play defenseman, playing alongside Shane Wright. And Olin Zellweger, I think, is a phenomenal young player and deserves his spot in this camp. And there's also Carson Lambos, who has some similar qualities. He didn't play at the under-18 Worlds last year because he wasn't uh, healthy enough to, but would have. And those are also the only two players that were named to the camp from the 2003 birth year on the blue line. So clearly, Hockey Canada had a very clear vision of going older on defense. You also look at some of the other players that they have. Donovan Zabrango, more of a, a defensive guy. He's also playing the AHL right now. Ryan O'Rourke, good two-way player. Damon Hunt, I think you're looking at him more defensively. Caden Gooley, who was on the team last year. You know, in terms of dynamic element, Lucas Cormier has been an outstanding point producer in the QMJHL over the last two years. Uh, but then you look at the, the righties that they brought in, Vincent Iorio and Jack Thompson. And that's where I start to feel like, okay, it's harder for me to look at the, the Canadian roster and say, there's not a spot in this camp for uh, Brant Clark. I'm not saying you have to take him on the team, but to not have him in the camp, unless you're sending a very clear message to the player over something that happened that you know is outside of our purview in the public, it's hard for me to say he didn't have a spot in this camp. So... As I look at Canada's blue line, too, I, I see a lot of similar players. You know, the guys that I just mentioned, you know, there, there's a lot of the same when you're looking at some of those more dynamic potential guys. I think Zellweger and Cormier look like guys that very well could be on the roster and, and, and playing in a power play situation. Obviously, you're going to have Owen Power in an all-situations type of Type of player Ryan O'Rourke, I think, will play quite a bit as well. Um, but you, you know, you start to wonder what, where, where do these fit in? And then, you know, both of your right shot defensemen, is there any guarantee that they both make the team? And now you're looking at an all lefty decor, and it's just, it's, it's hard for me to see where, where there wasn't a spot, especially when you have that extra roster spot to bring an eighth defenseman if you so choose. Why not get a look in camp of a Brant Clark? So there has to be something more to it than we see. Or, you know, it's just a team-building decision. And this Canadian team that, that was announced last week in terms of their makeup, they clearly have a type on the blue line. You know, every guy is 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 of a you know pretty decent size. There's some physicality to it. There's good skating. There's good mobility. Um, you know, I think it's a very has a chance to be a very good decor. But does it is it going to be balanced enough? Is it going to be able to to you know make sure that they're getting pucks up to the, to a very talented forward group? One thing that I don't think Canada is going to have to worry about is goaltending, though, and it is not very often that we can say that about a Canadian World Junior team. Sebastian Kosa and Dylan Garand both have the capability to start for this team, and and that's not to take anything away from Brett Brochu, who has been outstanding in the OHL over his career. He is a highly competitive goaltender. He does not have the size that you look for in those top guys, but he he's he's a player that I think is gonna find a way. You know, never been drafted. Maybe he'll get signed some somewhere down the line. 
Um, you know, five foot eleven goalie. It seems really difficult for to get an NHL team's attention if you're not, you know, six one, six two or higher. Uh, Garand is a six one goaltender, and then you've got Kosa, who's a six foot six, two hundred and nine pound goalie, who is also very quick in the crease. Going to be fascinating to see. You know, between him and Garand, and Garand was on the team last year, um, and and you know, Kosa was kind of surprisingly not, and so to to have them, this is both their their only chance to be the number one guy for Canada. I think that's going to be a competition that isn't decided before camp. I think I'd be comfortable with either guy if I were Hockey Canada as either being the starting goaltender. They both have great numbers in the WHL. They have been challenged, and, and they're guys that that have you know, some presence to them. Obviously, Kosa being a first-round draft pick and Grand, um, you know, being a, a high pick of the New York Rangers. So I like the fact that they are um, in the mix together, and I think that that is going to be a strength for the Canadian team. What's going to be real fascinating is how Canada builds their forward group. And clearly, Canada did not just go all on skill. And one of the guys that did not make the team is Zachary LaRue, from the QMJHL, plays for the Halifax Mooseheads, first-round pick of the Nashville Predators. A high-energy player, has had penalty trouble and suspensions and all those other things in the past, and I think that that is something that a team, the team decision-makers, especially at the international level, are going to look at very, very carefully. I cannot tell you how many times that has come into a discussion when I've talked about uh, this or that player with with a decision maker, and they said, "Yeah, but you know, like look at the penalties." Even go back to when when uh, Alex Dubrincic didn't make Team USA in his second year of eligibility, he made it the first year, didn't make it the second year. Part of it was just the penalty that he took. He got a match penalty against Canada, and and that really kind of knocked him out of that decision process and that as we know now that's not Alex Dabrinkit's game that's not something that would have been something consistent but you do it once on that stage and it can kind of mark you I think for LaRue it was more just now you know where where do we fit in a player like that are we willing to take on the risk and he is a guy that has come out and said I want to make them regret it and that is exactly the approach if you are a Nashville Predators fan if you are a Halifax Mooseheads fan, you want that mentality from that player to say, "I'm just going to go off," and and I think that you're gonna you're gonna see that in him, and and, and that's a good thing. But it, it won't be anything for Hockey Canada. And you look at the decisions that they made, and I think this is going to be a team that is very well balanced up front. I think they're going to have some guys that can play that defensive energy role, but then they also have some of their top-end players, the guys that I think will play significant roles on the team, that can do both for you. And that starts with Mason McTavish, who I think will be a central figure on this roster. He is a 2003-born. They obviously are going very 2002 heavy, but they could have 2003-born Mason McTavish, 2004-born Shane Wright, and 2005-born Connor Bedard all in the mix as impact players. And Connor Bedard, of course, you know, he's 2023 draft eligible. We've got Shane Wright, who's likely to be the number one pick this year. Kind of amazing situation for them to be in. And it's not guaranteed that they'll both be on the team. I think that having that extra forward spot tells me that Bedard has a much better chance of making it. He had a tremendous record-setting under-18 world championship as a double underager. He's going to be that again here. It is very difficult for those kids to make this team. Shane Wright did not make it last year. Um, so, you know, those are the types of things that you just kind of wonder 
Is it going to happen for Connor Bedard? And if it does, what? How, how much of a role is he going to end up playing? But as I said, there's a lot of balance on this team, and, and, and it goes with McTavish. I think you look at guys like Ridley Gregg, who who is a very productive player, but also gritty and can give you a lot of different, you know, a lot of different looks. Zach Dean, same kind of thing, where he can give you a good two-way presence there. And and there are a lot of other players in the mix that I think will be fascinating to watch as as we go forward here with uh, with what Hockey Canada has done and. I'll tell you what, there is a lot of uh, beef on the front end as well. You look at six foot six Jack Finley, 223 pounds, plays for Spokane. You know, he is a very interesting player, versatile versatility with that size. Will Cooley, um, you know, big, quick, probably a down the lineup player. Jake Neighbors, who played in NHL games this year, physical, you know, he was a top line player in the WHL. Could he be like a middle six energy kind of guy? For this team, Justin Sordiff as well had a really good summer camp and can play a lot of different roles. So, you know, this is going to be a team where you have to have some versatility to you in order to make it. You know, then they they have still beyond that, they have this incredible dynamic element. Cole Perfetti, Kent Johnson, you know, if Bedard makes it. You look at Xavier Borgo, who has been outstanding this year in the QMJHL, one of the top scorers all season long in the Q and playing a high, a high, high end game. Uh, same with Elliot Desnoyer. You know, like there, there are guys that can absolutely play at a high skill level. And it's just going to be a matter of, you know, where do the where do these guys fit in for Hockey Canada? And, and I think that the forward group is going to be a lot tougher to build out because you do want to have some of that balance, but you have so many high-end skilled players. And, and you know, another one that I didn't even mention, Dylan Gunther, you know, we're talking about high, high-end picks, a, a number nine pick in the last draft. Um, you know, this is this is what Hockey Canada has at its disposal. So I would say that based on the roster that they've brought to camp, there are a couple things that stand out. One is that they have gone very old on their defense. They don't have many returning players, but they're going with 19-year-olds on D. I think that is a reaction to what happened in the gold medal game last year and, and, and how overwhelmed Canada's defense got in that game. And that was all part of USA's game plan going forward. It's like we need to make sure that our guys are in the defenseman's faces and that they are not allowing them to move pucks up ice because the danger of Canada's defense was how quickly their 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 blue liners could move the puck up to the forwards and get them to those more dangerous players. And those guys were pretty much neutralized by a good strong forecheck. So you don't want to have that again. My question is in how Canada was built does that loom too large in your mind? We've seen this happen with USA in the past where they think, how do we beat Canada? We build a roster to beat Canada. And then you forget to build a roster that can beat everybody else and that you you need scoring. You need a lot of scoring in a tournament like this because you never know which guy is going to be going. Scoring can be so cyclical. And that's why I think a guy like Bedard, who is only 16 years old, but has one of the best shots you will see of any player his age, that's why I think you got to bring them because if things go south for your team and you've got Connor Bedard as your secret weapon and he's not a secret to anybody, but you got a guy like that in your mix, then you got to get him in there. 
And and so I think you know, and I think that's why a guy like Logan Stankoven Stankoven made the team because or made the made the camp because he's a guy that has proven in the past that he can score goals. And it you know he's not a big guy, but he's he's quick, he's jittery, and he's got a great shot. So you know you look at guys like that, Dylan Gunther, same type of thing. But then, you know, you you just have to find the right mix. So. Uh, one other note about Canada's forward group, Ryan Teverberg made the team. And, and, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people that looked at the roster and said, wait, what? Who's Ryan Teverberg? Well, he's been playing for UConn for the last two seasons. He's had a really outstanding sophomore year with the Huskies. He's a seventh round draft pick of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. So Maple Leaf fans weren't surprised to see him there. But he also, you know, I had gotten intel that there was, he was trying to let USA know that, hey, I'm I'm a dual citizen. You know, is there eligibility there? And sure, and I don't know if that was a ploy to get Hockey Canada's attention or not. But Teverberg making the team, it's not often that you'll see a player like that where he's not necessarily a superstar like a Kent Johnson is uh, make the team. But here he is, and, and he's in the mix. And I think it's great that he is. He deserves to be. He has 16 points in 14 games in Hockey East. Um, you know, He's playing for UConn, a team that has actually dealt with some COVID concerns lately. They've had two straight series postponed. So that does factor into Teverberg's availability. Let's hope for his sake that everything's negative for him and he can go join Canada because this really is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Will he make the team? I don't know, but I think that he's earned his his spot on there. Played in the Ontario Junior Hockey League, was a high-end performer there. He also played in the World Junior A Challenge a couple of years ago, so he's worn the Maple Leaf in an international setting before. So there's some familiarity there, and that's why you have those events, to keep track of those kids. And when they go off and they're having a season like he is at UConn, you give them a shot. Now, it's going to be really difficult for him to make the team. I don't know necessarily where he's going to fit. But I just think that it's so great that that he's been given that opportunity. He's a sturdy player. He's got some power to his game. He can score, and I think that is really helpful for your roster. But you know that is that is kind of I've been all over the place. But that I wanted to kind of summarize Hockey Canada's forward group because let me tell you they have a gold medal caliber team here. There's no question about it. There are those decisions that they made in terms of who was left home that you have to be really secure with. And we talked about Brant Clark. We talked about Zachary LaRue. We talked about my perceived reasons for why those guys were left home. But what I really think about is, all right, you've left those guys home. You've got the, the players that you have here in camp. There's also, you know, is there any hope that you could get a Quinton Byfield back from the Los Angeles Kings? Is there any hope you can get Cole Sillinger from the Columbus Blue Jackets? And I'm sure if either of those were on the table, you take those players. I'm, I, I know for sure that Hockey Canada would love to get Cole Sillinger in their mix. He is a Canada-USA dual citizen, has not played an international tournament. He was supposed to play at the Under-18 World Championship. Unfortunately, due to a, a positive COVID test, that wasn't possible. Um, so he missed out on that opportunity. Still goes in the first round, and he's already in the NHL right now. It's kind of amazing uh, to see that where he is already in the NHL. So I haven't gotten any intel that Byfield or Sillinger will be made available to Canada. I don't think that has been clear to, to Hockey Canada. I do think that they would make space if those guys were available Byfield's already played in two World Junior Championships. He's just getting back to health. I don't see the Kings loaning him out. Um, you know, they they they've 
put him with the AHL team. And I think that's probably where you want him to get revved back up for the season. Cause I'm sure they would like to get him on their NHL roster sooner than later. Um, and then Sillinger is already on an NHL roster. So do you disrupt his season for that? Knowing that you also have an Olympic break coming up. Those are two things that I think you have to consider, but, but that's why things remain unsettled here for hockey Canada. So I know that was a bit of a scatterbrained, scattershot kind of summary, but I, I tried to cover as many possible bases as I could because I did want to get to the questions that we got. And some of them are about Team Canada. Some of them are about the tournament in general. Um, but as I mentioned before, I think you're looking at a gold medal contending team as Canada always is. Yes, there are questionable decisions. Yes, they still have to make a lot of cuts in this camp. But I think that they have all the pieces in place to put together one of the deepest teams that you'll see in the tournament. Doesn't mean that they're going to walk away with gold. But just to wrap a bow on it, this is going to be a very good hockey team. Their goaltending is set. They have some decisions to make at defense and on forward. At forward. Um, but as we've seen... They're going to put a pretty pretty good product on the ice in Edmonton, especially with the pressure of losing on home ice last year, getting a do-over this year with a crowd, and having that home ice advantage. I'm sure that we'll see uh, a lot of pressure on this Hockey Canada group. All right, now that we've kind of gotten to that part, and I hope you followed along, I'm going to have to listen back to that. And I'll... <laughs> And we'll see. We'll see. If if you're listening to this now, it means that I was like, ah, oh, it's fine. <laughs> so so hopefully it was fine for you. But also we're going to move on to the Q&A portion of the podcast because I've got a lot of World Junior related ones and a lot of players uh, that we're going to talk about. Some that you definitely know and some that you may not know yet. Um, and we're also going to get a little bit of a, the Olympics discussion because as I mentioned before, it's not necessarily a lock at this moment that we're going to see NHL players there. So we'll talk about that as we get to our Q&A. All right, let's get after it. Uh, great questions, as always. I really, really love the stuff that I get on Twitter from from listeners, from people that may just want to know the question and maybe only listen to when their question is answered. But that's the trick. I don't tell them when it'll be read during the podcast, only that it will be read during the podcast. And we got a lot of World Junior stuff. There's some college hockey stuff in there, some really good, interesting stuff about um, name, image, and likeness and how that relates to the, the idea of the um you know the CHL and, and those players currently aren't allowed to play in the NCAA as we see NIL stuff kind of come in and players are making money in other sports how does that all factor in it's a it's a good question we'll get to that towards the end there's also a great question about college hockey expansion um based on my personal preferences and I'm excited to do that but first we're going to start with the questions about the World Juniors. The first one comes from at Scotiaboy2. Are you coming to Alberta for the World Junior Championship? 
Yes, I am very excited to do that. I'll spend most of my time in Red Deer, but we'll also be moving up to Edmonton. Um, we'll be there for the duration of the tournament. And as I've said before, you'll be able to catch a lot of coverage on dailyfaceoff.com. There'll also be some additional Team USA centric coverage on um, Hockey Sense, but most of you know my general tournament stuff. A lot of the you know European teams, Canada. That'll mostly be on daily face-off. So I will be there very looking, very much looking forward to that. The next one comes from at Nolan Bianchi, who asks, which NHL fan base should expect to have the best time watching the World Juniors? There's quite a few, actually. I mean, I, I think that, you know, obviously, if you have a lot of prospects in there, um, it's, it's a lot more fun. But I think, you know, if you're a team that is excited about the NHL draft coming up, if you're a team that's in the lottery range and you want to see Shane Wright or you want to see Joachim Kamel or or guys that are going to be super high draft picks, Logan Cooley for the U.S., you know this is a great tournament to watch uh, for you because you're getting a glimpse of these players. This might be the only time you see them in live games over the course of the season. So if you are a fan of a, a lottery team, that helps. I think that you know. There, there should be a lot of fans that are of uh, of the Minnesota Wild that could be fans. And this actually, I just want to quickly bring up this other question that came in um, because it is uh, Minnesota Wild related. And I'm going to talk about the Wild. This one comes from at Gene Parmesan 9. Uh, which of the Wild's defense prospects will make Team Canada and what role might they have? Also, Jack Pert for USA next year. I do think Jack Pert will be in the mix for Team USA next year to answer that really quickly, but to stick with um, the Minnesota Wild as a team. So they have three defensive uh, defensemen that are prospects that are in camp right now um, with or will be going to camp with Canada. That's uh, Damon Hunt, uh, Carson Lambos, and Ryan O'Rourke. And I think all three of them very well could make the team. I could see Lambos in a situation where he's he's kind of a depth defenseman providing some of that two-way play, offensive spark, um, you know, good skating. Ryan O'Rourke, very two-way guy. You know, I think he's much more uh, fit in in this particular setting as a as a more of a defense, a sturdy defenseman, providing a bit of a physical presence. Same with Damon Hunt. Um, I think, you know, there's a chance that those two guys could be competing for the same spot, but I think both of them have a really good chance to make it. Um, so I'd say that, you know, if you're a Wild fan, that's that's something to watch. I also think you're going to be very interested to watch Jesper Wallstedt in this tournament. I very much think that he will be the number one goaltender for Sweden in this tournament. I thought he should have been last year. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a huge fan of of. of you know, the, their, what they've built over the last few years and, you know, giving guys opportunities. Um, Hugo Alnefelt had, you know, helped Sweden reach some really great heights in his career. But I really do think that this will be uh, Jesper Wallstedt's team. Callie Klang, who's a Penguins draft pick, he'll, he'll definitely be in the mix as well. But I think that as you see it, you know, if you're a Minnesota Wild fan, there's a really good opportunity that you're going to see um, uh, quite a few quality prospects on the team. Um, just in that, in that regard where, you know, we're talking Canada, we're talking about Sweden. So, uh, very visible in that way, even though you look at some of the top prospects in the system, you know, Matt Boldy, Marco Rossi and, and Kalen Addison all in the AHL now, not, you know, not able to, to go to this. So, um, you know, I think that that's going to be mostly, uh, you know, 
even though there's a lot to watch in the AHL right now, there's going to be some that next wave that you're going to want to see is very interesting to watch in this next one. So I do think the Wild are in there. Certainly the Red Wings are going to have, you know, a number of players on Team Sweden that are that are interesting. Simon Edvinson being the most interesting of them all. Um, but then you think about, you know, will, will Niederbach be there? Um, you know, obviously I think he will be. So, you know, there, there's a lot of, of players in that regard. Um, also on Team USA, you'll have guys like Red Savage and Carter Mazur. Um, you know that that are that are interesting as well, and will probably be in more of a depth role uh, for USA, but interesting nonetheless. So you know, I think that those are the types of fan bases that are going to have a lot to watch. Um, and as I do my previews of of the tournament, and I'll do a much deeper dive later on both the podcast and on Daily Faceoff, and also on Hockey Sense, and in a variety of ways. And we're going to hit more teams, um, not just international teams but the team the nhl teams these players are going to be re- representing you're going to have a much better feel and once we see the final rosters um we'll have a better feel for that but i think you know red wings um certainly the wild there's there's a lot of teams out there you know if, you, if you've drafted high high players you know um in, in the draft you're gonna you're gonna be watching and um we'll see kind of what happens with team germany what they're able to get um from who's available but, you know, they have a, a number of guys. So, yeah, it's just it's going to be a fun tournament no matter what. And there's going to be plenty to watch. And I say if you're a lottery team, if you're the Red Wings, if you're the Wild and some others, um, certainly plenty to see there. All right. Our next question comes from at Ryan Mass, 17. With Byfield, Quentin Byfield returning to the Kings AHL team, do you think they send him to the World Juniors as a confidence booster? It's a good question. I think it's one that that certainly Hockey Canada, I'm sure, has inquired about if he's available. Byfield, of course, has been on the last two World Junior teams. Fair performances. Um, you know, his first year he wasn't used a whole lot. This last year, I think that he underwhelmed a little bit, except for you know basically one or two games where he was really on it. Um, and and I'm sure that he would like, you know maybe would like another crack at it, but I, I think the third time around, and if you're the Los Angeles Kings, you got to do a risk reward assessment. And I think him coming off of an injury and him having a chance to move into an AHL team that has been very good this season, that has a lot of young talent, that has a lot of his peers on it, that will give him a consistent environment to get him back to. I just think that the best thing for him at this point is to stay with the AHL team, and that's not me talking as like somebody that an American saying Canada shouldn't have the best players. I think that from from the Los Angeles Kings perspective, it makes a lot of sense to allow him to get back into a routine. This is a guy that they fully expected would be on their NHL roster this year. They never thought that you know he'd, he'd go down with a long term injury at the beginning of the season or in training camp. So you know he was ready to take that next step anyway. Now you have to recalibrate a little bit. And yeah, you could think that the World Juniors is in there, but you know, sending him get especially with you know the uncertainty with COVID and everything else, I think that you know, for if if I'm the Los Angeles Kings and I'm thinking solely for the, the best interest of not only your the organization, but also Quentin Byfield, I'm keeping him um on the team. I'm keeping him on the AHL team. I'm letting him get his pro reps and I'm letting him get his timing back. You know, I think that the, the world juniors sometimes does more closely mimic the pace of the NHL. Um, but I think that him being around professionals, being around peers and also being 
right under the watchful eye of the Kings. The way that things are set up for, for Los Angeles with Ontario, the Ontario rain, they're all under one roof in terms of practicing and training. And there's so it's, it's such a, a good setup for where they're at and what they need. Um, that I think that that's probably within his best interest. So I think that's a great question, a very fair question. Certainly, he's age eligible to go. You like to see all the best players in the tournament. Um, I just don't think, you know, if it was me, I don't think that that's a decision I'd make. I, I do want to bring up, because I mentioned it a little bit earlier, Cole Sillinger, too. You know, him being, uh, he's a rookie. He's He's been playing very well. He's getting good minutes for, for Columbus. You know, is is this a situation where you're like, hey, we're kind of in this kind of rebuilding scenario. Why don't we let our guy go, have a chance to com- to build confidence um, and, and just, and maybe, you know, have a chance to win a gold medal, have a chance to be a star player, play a lot of minutes, be a scoring threat for, for Canada. Um, I think that's an option. But again, I think that teams, once they get a guy into their system, it's really hard to say, we're going to let you go for a couple of weeks. We're going to not have any control over what happens to you and just let it happen. I think that more, you know, especially with a guy that's already been in the NHL, don't let him take a step back. Um, but, you know, I, I think that he is one guy that you can say, ah, maybe, you know, like maybe because he he is, you know, he, he's a young player in the NHL. I mean, if you would have asked me who the players from last year's draft class that would be playing in the NHL right now, I don't think Cole Sillinger would have been one of them. Um, and really, it's it's and that's not says nothing about Cole Sillinger. I just think you know when he, he played last season in the USHL, outside of Jack Hughes and and really the the NTDP plays a hybrid schedule. We've never seen a guy go straight from the USHL to the NHL. Cole Sillinger has done that, and he's done it far better than I think anyone really expected. I completely underrated how physically strong he is. I've always liked his skill. I like his scoring talent. You know, he's not the biggest guy, but he is a strong player, and he's managing the NHL very well. So that's another age-eligible player that Hockey Canada won't have at their disposal more than likely for this tournament when you already knew that you were going to not have guys like Jamie Drysdale um, and others. So very interesting nonetheless, but Byfield, Sillinger, more than likely not going to play for Team Canada. All right, this next one, we're going to go to Slovakia, not not from the questioner, but the question's topic. Lars Thorzel asks, Dalibor Dvorsky, how good can he become? I know comparables are hard and hopeless, but give me one anyways. I'm not going to give you one, Lars. I'm sorry. I'm not going to give you a comparable because he is... You know, 16 years old, and I think there is a lot more that we have to learn about him before I can start saying, well, he kind of plays like this guy in the NHL, um, because we're still learning a lot about him. But if you don't know the name Dalibor Dvorsky, um, let me fill you in. He had a breakout performance at the Ivan Holinka or the Holinka Gretzky Cup this summer, playing for Slovakia, took helps you know lead Slovakia in scoring and took them all the way to the final of the tournament and in what no one really saw coming in terms of even though we knew Slovakia was going to be a better team I don't think anyone anticipated that they would be going on so Dvorsky is a 2005 born player so we're talking Connor Bedard age um, and he is currently playing for um, in in Sweden right now in the AIK um 
U20 team. He's also he's also played on the pro team. I should say he's played more recently on the pro team in the Allsvenskan, so the second division. So this is a 16-year-old player who has seen time on the U20 team, but has also played at the professional level. Not just, you know, and he's, he's a Slovakian, so he's not, you know, obviously not a Swedish-born player getting this opportunity. But let me just throw some numbers at you at the moment. And I'm going to start with the Holinka Gretzky Cup, which is where he had his breakout performance. He had 12 points in five games, including eight goals. That was one point behind Matvey Michkov, who everyone knows as the potential 2023 number one overall pick, or the guy that's competing with Connor Bedard for the number one overall pick. And very interesting. Uh, we have a Bedard versus uh, Michkov question coming up, but it, it's important to talk about Dvorsky as well because I'll tell you what, the 2023 NHL draft is really shaping up to be special. But again, getting to the numbers. So 12 points in five games for Dvorsky right behind Michkov. Those two point totals, the 13 points for Michkov and the 12 points for Dvorsky, most ever in the tournament, in a single tournament, just for for one for one appearance. And um, on top of that, they each had eight goals, which is uh, tied for second all-time. Um, but the other thing that Dvorsky has is he scored three more points than any U-17 player had ever scored in that tournament. So as an underager, three more points than any other underager. Really ridiculous. And, and again, he's doing this on Team Slovakia. He wasn't on a dominant team but he was a dominant offensive performer. Now let's go to what he's done this season in the the U20 National League in Sweden. 27 points in 20 games played so far. That's 1.35 points per game. That is the fifth best point per game total. And uh, granted, his season is not complete, so it may not stay this way. But the fifth most all-time among U17 skaters. So the top the guys in front of him are William Nylander, who had 1.59 as a 16-year-old in the league, Daniel Sedin, 1.54, Robert Nilsson, 1.48, and Henrik Sedin, 1.38. The next name on that list is Delibor Dvorsky. The name right after him <laughs> is Lucas Raymond, who had uh, 1.3 points per game and also should be noted is the all-time U17 scorer in terms of total points in that league. So Dvorsky is is off the charts right now. He is leading all players in his age group by nine points and in, in 20 total games. So 27 points in 20 games, 13 goals for him. He has one goal. I believe it was uh, technically a shootout game-winning goal. So it wasn't an, a regulation goal scored, but they do count shootout winning goals as goals in European hockey. So he has one goal so far. Um, I think that, you know, more than likely, the, the other thing is that he's actually playing real minutes in the Allsvenskan, which is incredible. So um, Dvorsky is a, a player that you absolutely need to know, and you're almost certainly going to see him playing for Slovakia at the upcoming World Junior Championship. Now, I'm going to be in Red Deer, as I mentioned, and yes, I'm going there because that's where the United States is going to be, and I know that a lot of my audience is expecting um very tight USA coverage, which you'll get. But another huge reason I'm going is for the draft work that I'm doing. And and Slovakia is a team that I think is going to be absolutely fascinating to watch in this tournament. Um, and I cannot wait to see the team that they put out there because you've got for this year's draft, Uri Slavkovsky, um, uh, Simon Nemitz, you are going to have some really good 
young players in that group. And then obviously Dvorsky, who we talked about for 2023. And there are so many others that we can expect to see on that roster. And then there are already drafted guys like uh, Martin Kromiak and um, Samuel Nashko. Another, a lot of really good players that have had some success at the international level or at the junior level. And so to see some of these players is going to be really, really exciting. You also got Philip Mesar, um, a 17-year-old who's draft eligible, um, coming up real soon as well. And so that is going to be a team that I think if you are um, interested in the draft, you're going to want to watch this team play because they have some high, high-end talent. This is probably the best Slovakian, you know, the, the 2004, 2005 you know, that, that U18 group that is going to make up a, a pretty significant core of this team is one of the best that we've seen out of Slovakia. And, you know, we think about what we just saw with Germany and getting, um, you know, Stutzla and, um, and, and Reichel and Paterka and Sider. You know, we're starting to see something similar to that in Slovakia right now in terms of the quality of players that are available. Like Nemec, uh, Nemec could very well be a top five pick this year. Uh, Slavkovsky is going to be a first rounder. Mesar is probably going to be a first rounder. Um, super skilled player having a having a real good season. And, um, you know, he's, he's playing in the pro league in Slovakia. So, you know, that's always a little bit difficult to kind of measure. Um, but that's why this World Junior Championship, I think, is going to be really important for those Slovakian guys. So uh, that's a, probably a lot more detail about Slovakia than you ever needed. Um, but we're uh, that's what we're talking about. We're talking World Juniors at the moment. All right, moving on. This next one comes from at Steve Osh12. Who is the better player today, Connor Bedard or Matt Vaymichkov? Now, you ask me this question... On a, on a on any day of the week and the answer could change and I'm not trying to be um you know cagey about it that way I'm being honest I think that really if you would have asked me before this season started and after the world under 18 championship when I got to see both of them have you know record setting performances things that blew my mind I would have said Bedard because I think that in terms of his overall package, his speed, even his shot, that is special. But I have not seen a player with a goal-scoring sense, and I'm not talking about um, you know straight-up hockey sense. I'm uh, I'm just talking strictly about sense of how to score goals, sense of the net, sense of where he is in the in the game. Mitchkov is on a level I have not personally seen live at this age because I didn't see Alex Ovechkin when he was a prospect. I was not that much older than Alex Ovechkin. So I didn't see it. You know, I wasn't doing this at that point. I had no idea what was happening um, as as he was absolutely blowing up. But you look at what Mitchkov has done this season. He already has five points in the KHL, five points in 13 games. And, and he is turning... Um, he's actually almost happy birthday, Matt Vemichkov. He's going to turn 17 on December 9th. So by the time you read this, he may have already blown out the candles. So, but you know, in the KHL, five points in 13 games. In the MHL, the U20 league, he has 28 points in 11 games. He has 17 goals in 11 games. He has played internationally for the Russian national team 
youngest player ever to play for the senior team. A bit of a asterisk with that, but either way, one goal in his in his performance with the senior team been doing just absolutely nutso stuff this year. We mentioned he he had a record-setting performance at the Holinka Gretzky Cup where Russia did end up winning the tournament. There is nothing quite like him. And yet, there is a Connor Bedard. And Connor Bedard, very similarly, I have not seen somebody quite like him. You know, I don't think that Connor McDavid is a comparable, even though, you know, he's he's just this wonderkin and he's he's not not that big yet he's still growing into his body and he's an interesting player this season his production is down compared to where it was last year he had 28 points in 15 games with Regina last year then he goes to the world under 18 championship has 14 points matches Connor McDavid's U17 record uh, or record for a for a U16 player in the U18 team tournament because he was 15 years old let's not forget when that tournament happened, um, didn't turn 16 until two months later. And then this year he has 12 goals and 21 points in 23 games. So he's not averaging over a point per game. Not a huge concern. You also have to consider last year the way that the season was set up in the WHL. Not the toughest schedule for Regina. So we're not seeing necessarily um, the same level of, oh my God, production from him. But we're seeing some really quality things out of um, out of Connor Bedard. And that includes, you know, if you look at what he's doing this year, okay, he's only got 12 goals, but you, you look across the WHL and as we're recording this, you know, he's got 126 shots on net. They aren't dropping as regularly for him. Defensively, there are still things that need to be done. He got, He has to get stronger. He has to be better on the puck. Um, he scored a goal really recently, however, that I thought just showed how insane he is in terms of his touch on the puck. You know, he, he basically was in a situation where he stripped the puck from a player, danced around one guy, gets it over an outstretched stick, kind of chips it to himself, and then he just unleashes an unholy shot. Um, and the way that he's able to shoot the puck is different from the way that Matvey Michkov shoots the puck. And, you know, I think Michkov is, has this understanding of timing, when to time the shot perfectly, where to put it, incredible accuracy. But Dard has that, but then he has this violent but just stunning release on his shot. It really is something. I, you know, I, I've seen Austin Matthews, and I saw him when he was the same, similar in age, and he wasn't shooting the puck that way at that age. Um, I think that, you know, what what Connor Bedard does is different. So I, I'm not, you know, I'm not it, not trying to d- avoid the question, but I, I look at what Mitch Cobb has done this season, and I've never seen anything like it. And I look what Bedard is doing this season, and I'm thinking, okay, it's not quite as impressive as what he did last year, but it's still pretty insane for a 16-year-old kid in the league. He's leading the WHL in shots on goal by almost 20 full shots on net. Um, which is kind of incredible. Um, and I'm watching a player that that does things that I didn't realize somebody his age could do. So I would say right now my 1A is Matvey Michkov. And like I said, if you asked me this a few months ago, it would have been Connor Bedard. My 1B is Bedard. But stick around. 
that could change the good news for both of those players. And the less good news for me, who will have to think about this until 2023, is that the draft is in 2023. So we got a long way to go. All right. Our next question is not necessarily prospect related, but a good one from Dylan Gronland. What are the odds of ESPN ever getting the World Juniors? Interesting question. So as of right now, if you know that the U.S. has had, um, USA Hockey's had a deal with NHL Network for many years now. They have carried the tournament live. That includes all USA games, most if not all Canada games, the medal round, and everything else. It's great because it hadn't existed before. Um, you know, and and I was thinking the John Carlson World Juniors was, I believe, the first time that USA Hockey had that deal with NHL Network where they broadcast the entire thing. Now, if you are of a certain age, you may recall that back in 2005 during the lockout when the tournament was in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and Thief River Falls, Minnesota, ESPN had that tournament on TV. They didn't have every game, but they had some of the big ones on TV, including the USA games. And so it is not unprecedented to have games on ESPN. What I will say is, I don't think we'll ever see the World Juniors on ESPN television. I do think there is potential for it to become a ESPN Plus property. Now, ESPN Plus is actually developed, um, and when I going back to when I was at ESPN, they developed a, 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 a relationship kind of loose with the, the IIHF, and so they took a lot of the games that weren't going to be aired on NHL Network. They were able to get the streaming rights for games that NHL Network didn't want, essentially. So if you're watching the Women's World Championship, you could see every game outside of the 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 U.S. women's games that were on NHL Network in the U.S. So that was an opportunity for you to do that. The other thing is, is that they've also developed a relationship with the KHL. So ESPN Plus is now showing KHL games. I think a few times uh, a few times a month, and you know you can find them. Um, it's not something that they've like gone overboard promoting like the NHL right now, but I do think you know as of right now. So. Last, I, I don't know exactly what USA Hockey's current deal is with NHL Network, and it should be noted the IIHF awards their local local governing bodies the opportunity to essentially control the rights for who will broadcast in their country. So Hockey Canada's deal with TSN for the World Juniors, for instance, um, is between most between Hockey Canada and obviously IIHF gets a cut of that. Same USA Hockey there with NHL Network now. So I think. What'll be interesting is if the rights do become competitive, um, how how much ESPN would want something like this. Um, certainly, they have college hockey. They have other things. They they have some content where you could really start cornering the market on hockey. And I I know there's also been talk over the years of what will happen to NHL Network. Will it still exist? Um, you know, if you have YouTube TV like I do, you don't get it. Um, a lot of people have been like that so usually when the world juniors comes around i'll have to buy a streaming service that has it that's just the way it goes um luckily this year i'll be there so it won't make a difference either way but you know i i think that the long answer the long or the short answer to the question is that i would say the, the odds are pretty good if espn still wants to continue to do business with hockey as they have been and if they're within that seven year window and the rights become available from USA Hockey, I think that things will get a little bit more competitive. That said, I do think that USA Hockey has a really good relationship with the NHL and NHL Network, and I don't know that they're necessarily eager to leave that. And so 
the last deal that was announced ended in 2021. However, we do know that NHL Network will be airing um, the games this year in um, in the United States. So I don't know if that is a multi-year deal or if it's kind of going year by year. But you also think about the other the other things that NHL Network does for USA Hockey that that makes them a little more eager to work with them. They air the women's games. They air the women's world championship. They they have aired uh, the men's world championship as well. Um, they have aired uh, the All American Prospects game. Um, so there are other properties that USA Hockey has that NHL Network is better positioned to offer that. But you also have to think about interest in the world juniors has kind of ebbed and flowed in the u.s we're at a point now where people are much more familiar with it people want to see the prospects espn isn't covering prospects at the moment um uh, no one has really replaced my role there at this point i i'm not sure if they will or what's going to happen there over time but if that's something that they want to do again, certainly having that content adds value. So I, I think it's an interesting question. I think that people, if you're in the U.S., if you're in the U.S., that's something you would like to know. And and I think yes, you know, Dylan, I think the odds are are, are decent, if not good, to get that in there. So we'll we'll see what happens. All right, this next question is Olympics related, but also kind of World Juniors related, and it comes from at Wills fifteen. Will Canada send their World Junior team to the Olympics if the NHL decides against attending? If so, how much will they win by? Winky face. Um, or is it tongue out? I can't I can't read the emojis anymore. I don't know. I'm too old for that. Anyway, Wills 15, very good question. I, I think, you know, let's think about contingency plans. Because as we know, the NHL and their players are starting to get nervous. Robin Lehner became the first NHL player to publicly opt out of the Olympics, telling Team Sweden that it wasn't right for his mental health to risk, you know, to, to incur the risks. And if, you know, if he ended up having to isolate, if he had to do all these other things, um, basically, it's been presented to the players pretty starkly that going to this is not exactly going to be fun. Yes, you'll get to compete in the Olympics. Yes, that is a huge deal. And that is something that I think the players still want. But it's not going to be the best experience in terms of what you're able to do away from their rink. If anything, um, the bubble situation, the isolation, what happens if you get COVID where you be willing to spend that much time there. So I actually think, I don't necessarily know if the NHL itself is going to opt out, but I do think that we are going to see more players, not just Robin Lehner, more players from multiple countries opt out of these Olympics. Um, and that would be tough. I think it's a tough decision for them. But I also think that given the circumstances, I'm not going to tell people what to do on that. And I don't think that anybody's pride should be questioned. There, There's so much more at stake when you're talking about health of your families, health of yourself in terms of you know, what happens if you do get COVID while you're there and you have to quarantine for three weeks before you can come home. Um, I know Elliot Friedman has been talking on the on the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast about you know a, a, a loser that that had to you know broke his leg and because of quarantine issues couldn't get on a flight. They had to fly him on a, like a freighter uh, to to Italy and then get him home. Like you know, like th- those are the types of things that are playing on players' minds. So to get back to Will's question, I don't think it's as simple as Hockey Canada saying, "Well, we'll just take our World Junior team." Um. 
I think the more likely scenario is that they will cobble together a team that has more European professionals. We would assume that any player on on an NHL contract would not be able to participate um, or wouldn't be allowed to go. If the NHL opts out, that means, you know, no Cole Perfetti, no Mason McTavish, you know, so they would be losing players right away. Um, Then you have to ask the question of a guy like an Owen Power and say, okay, you decided to go back to school this year for your development. You just left for a month to go play in the World Juniors, to go to camp and then to play in the tournament. We're going to ask you to leave for another month for the Olympics during a time when your team is going to be competing for a, a, a place in the playoffs um, and a place in the NCAA tournament. You know, how do you feel about that? You came back here to win a national title. Um, that makes it, and the same goes for Team USA. Like you think about a guy like Jake Sanderson. I think obviously those are guys that you would ask to go. Owen Power and Jake Sanderson, no brainers for an Olympic team, whether you're sending European pros or not. But those players would have an interesting decision to make. And if you'll recall, Kale McCarr had that decision made. Brad Schlossman and I talked about that last week on the podcast. Kale McCarr decided not to go to the Olympics, and he made the right call. He might have been a seventh or eighth defenseman on that team um, at that point in his development. Uh, Canada did win the bronze medal, so he didn't, you know, have a chance to win a bronze medal. But he was able to return to UMass, developed, and then spent another year in school after that ended up helping his team win a national championship, won the Hobie Baker, and now we're looking at a guy that could win a Norris Trophy. He made the right decision for himself, however difficult that may have been. And I think that those players that that are going to the World Juniors are unlikely, you know, within their best interest to say, absolutely, I'm going to go. Certainly some will, but, you know, you have to start thinking of, of other contingency plans. And I think if you're the U.S., if you are Hockey Canada, I think you do look at more junior and college age players that are not currently under an NHL contract. Or, you know, I think some of those guys that are under NHL deals but aren't currently with their NHL teams are like back in junior. Maybe you get an opportunity with some of those guys. Um, but that is the, that is the scramble mode that I think most of the national governing bodies are hoping they don't have to make. Meanwhile, Russia's like, this is going to be fine. And, and I think let's just, for the hypothetical, let's say you do send Canada's U20 team to the World Juniors. I, I am a firm believer that they would be highly competitive, probably would compete for a medal, but I don't think that they would be able to hang with the the, the Russian pros um, because we're talking about many guys that did play in the NHL, guys that are extremely experienced, have a lot of – and that's the thing about the World Juniors. You're dealing with guys that don't – you know, when, when they're U20 versus U20 – everybody's at the same experience level. Sure, some guys are going to be smarter than others and they're going to be able to know a few tricks in this. But when you're going up against pros, they know all the tricks. So, you know, you start saying, okay, well, what do we do next? And, you know, maybe if the Spangler Cup happens, because we've heard that there is some doubt about the Spangler Cup that happens in Switzerland every year and, and, you know, Canada sends a team and everything else, um, you know, maybe the Spangler Cup team ends up being your Olympic team. It's That's that's where we're at at this point. Um so it's it's a great question, but I do think that you couldn't send a team full of U20s and expect high, high results, especially against teams like Russia. Um, you probably would beat the Chinese national team, as if you hadn't heard, China will be perform- will uh, will be allowed to compete in the Olympics. The IIHF decided it was not worth pulling them out, even though China is in Canada and USA 
and Germany's group. Um, those are going to be some really tough scores. And I don't think it's going to be the national embarrassment that everybody seems to think it's going to be. I just don't think it's going to be fun for anybody. Um, and I think that there's going to be an understanding that, hey, this team isn't very good. Um, but you never know. It's the Olympics. Crazy things can happen. Not crazy enough to you know beat any of those teams. But here we are. All right, so now we're going to move away from international hockey for the last two questions of the podcast. These are college hockey-centric questions, and I'm really excited to talk about them because this first one comes from at VT Shamrocks. What are the long-term, long and short-term impacts of name, image, and likeness money for the NCAA? Do you see CHL players eventually being able to play in the NCAA? So that is kind of the natural question that has been asked as we've d- dove into this NIL name, image, and likeness um, kind of world. And as we know, and as has proven true, hockey players are not getting a lot of money in these NIL situations. Many college football players are getting a lot of money in the NIL deals, and some of them are, are giving it away to charity. Um, we've also seen a a, a significant number of um, uh, women's athletes have, have been able to capitalize on the NIL as well. And I think that uh, that that's a that's a I mean it's a phenomenal thing that the, the, these college athletes are able to cash in. The question is, how does that impact the CHL being able to play in the NCAA? Now, we know that the CHL players are considered professional by the NCAA um, because there are players in their leagues that play under NHL contracts. But when you have NIL deals and you got some football or basketball player making 150k you know does that you know why can't a guy who's not making any money just had a teammate that had a contract come in and i think that that's something that will be reviewed however there are specific there are specific rules in the ncaa rule book so it's not as simple as saying well these guys are going to be allowed to play in the nh in the ncaa um chl players at by rule are currently not allowed to play in the in, in the NCAA. They are they are barred from it. Um, we did see Austin Swankler, who did play a um, a year in the OHL, then had a year off, be able to regain his eligibility. And I think that year off is the reason for that. Um, he's playing at Bowling Green. He's having a really good freshman season for the Falcons. Um, you know, one of the top freshmen in uh, the CCHA, if not the top freshman in the CCHA. So, you know, that is um, something that I think that will be reviewed continually. The thing that I'm interested in is who ends up benefiting from that if the CHL is opened up to the NCAA? Or the NCAA, rather the other way around, the NCAA is opened up to the CHL. I do think you'd see more Americans go the CHL route at a younger age, knowing that they could just go back and and go to the college route if it was still available to them. Um, I do think that you would have a very interesting dynamic in terms of how the player pool shifts and who gets those opportunities um, now. And I think if you had a player that played four years in the OHL and then wanted to come play for you for four years and you know that you're going to have a, a potential 24-year-old, 25-year-old senior that gives you a chance to win a national championship that's played, you know, essentially the equivalent of eight years of high-level hockey, and 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 they get that at the USHL as well. Um, that is something that I think will be tough to juggle 
Um, and so I think the CHL would not totally love to see that happen, even though I think it would potentially let them off the hook of some of the scholarship money that they're supposed to pay out to players who aren't going to turn professional. I do think there's the potential that you start getting an older product in college hockey that is not as good of a product. Um, I think that you start missing out on some of the elite players that would have otherwise played college hockey at 17, 18 years old um, that have gone the other route. That said, I think a lot of American players, their mentality is on the college route still. Um, and we have seen that over the years that most American kids and including the top American kids want to go that college route and, and go choose paths like the USHL or the BCHL or, or prep hockey to keep that going. Um, the other thing that I think would be interesting in this, if let's say the CHL players are eligible, that has widened your player pool in a significant enough way where expansion is more palatable to continue to have a quality product. And so that's the thing that I'm most fascinated by. If they do make this change, how does that adjust the landscape? It certainly doesn't change the economics of hockey and, and how expensive it is for schools to run a Division I hockey program. But when you know there is a larger player pool to support that team, to find a team that can be more competitive earlier, um, and, and I think it takes innovative thinking athletic directors, which we don't have right now. Um, well, we do in some cases, I don't want to paint them with a broad brush, but certainly the ones that are more experienced are, are, are less risk averse. And, you know, you think about the different places that it has popped up, but I do think that if you have a larger player pool, I think you would have a better opportunity to have a more effective expansion of college hockey in the end. So there's, there's a lot of different edges here. There's a lot of different angles to explore. But I think in the short term, we will not see much movement on this. I think the CHL would be somewhat resistant to it, at least on the outset. And I think the NCAA, to a certain degree, would be resistant to it for now. But maybe not forever. And I do think that the NLI or the, the NIL situation has shifted that a little bit more. So I'm I'm really fascinated to see where that goes. Um, and, and that is going to be real interesting. So thanks for that great question. I do think that we are um, going to see something different here in the near future. And that brings me to my last question of the night, which I think is really fun to think about because in this scenario, it makes me very rich. This one comes from Ryan Bailey. You come into a large fortune and suddenly have the ability to fully fund new men's and women's hockey program at any five colleges which don't currently have them, which ones do you choose? Ryan, thank you very much for that. I have a very selfish answer to start. Well, it's my money, right? I would put a lot of that money towards building a program at Iowa State University, which is where I went to school. I worked for the club team there. I had a great time um, working there, and I, I, you know, I basically started my hockey career there. And I will sing the praises of ACHA hockey all the way through. I think it's a great alternative to um, to everything, uh, you know, to, to those players that haven't had a place to go and didn't make their, you know, the division one, didn't get that division one scholarship, or maybe they wanted to go and have a big school experience instead of playing in the D division three level, you know, whatever, ha whatever you want. Um, but I would definitely have a men's and women's hockey program at Iowa State University. I know for a fact that if you are at Iowa State, um, there is a psychotic passion 
for sports there. The football team has never been better than it is now. The basketball team is nationally ranked, both men's and women's. They've always been phenomenal. They draw for men's and women's basketball. Um, they draw for wrestling. Um, you know, and and there is excitement around athletics at the school. Not a very large athletic department, despite the fact that it's in the Big 12. So I would say to athletic director Jamie Pollard, who, who came from the University of Wisconsin, has been there for a long time, because I know everything's going great. You probably don't want this, but it's my money. I'm putting a hockey team in Ames. Here's the here's the arena and all that. So that's selfish for me. But I do think that hockey at Iowa State would be awesome. Um, you know, I, I would give some to Iowa as well. But, like, you know, I mean, maybe just to build the rivalry on the ice too. The next place that I would put a men's and women's hockey team would be the University of Texas. And you say, what? Come on. Well, Texas is about to move to the SEC. They've also, you know, the largest university in the, um, in the state in terms of fan base, in terms of athletics interest. So I would absolutely put one there. It's, you know, in Austin, there's a hockey community there. Cedar Park has the Texas Stars right now. Um, you have a chance to grow hockey in a large population center in a huge, a huge athletics brand. Um, and in a place where there is infrastructure to support uh, a great hockey experience. So I'm all about growing the game. Texas is there. The next thing is I would actually, instead of having five men's and women's hockey programs, I'm putting women's hockey at Michigan State and Michigan. It is an absolute joke that there is no women's hockey uh, at the at the Division I college level in the state of Michigan where, where women's hockey participation is high. Um, it's not as high as Minnesota or Massachusetts, but it is high. And those women don't have a place to play. They go down and play at Ohio state. You tell some, uh, some maize and blue bleeding Michigan alum that that's that their best women's players are going down to Ohio state. And, and you've got a co-investor in that, in that program. You know, I think that you've got the, you've got the facilities, You've got great history with men's hockey there. It's time that those programs have women's hockey and we start seeing more Big Ten teams bring women's hockey into the fold. The next place that I would do it, again, semi-selfish, and I, I, it would be at Northwestern University. Chicago and the Chicago area is ready for, a, for, a men, for men's and women's hockey. They could use, um, you know, the state of Illinois has had that. Obviously, the Blackhawks are, are kind of starting to lose the, the attention span of the sports fans there as they've hit their rough patch. Um, but you have every level of hockey. You have you have huge youth hockey. You have NHL. You have AHL. You have USHL. You have everything but men's and women's college hockey. And again, that's another Big Ten team that allows the, the program to expand. So we're talking... You know, now we have a Big Ten Women's Hockey League. Um, sorry to get WCHA people all in a tizzy about that. Yes, that would be not great for everybody, but, it, you know, it's an opportunity to grow. So so right now we've got, I'm going to say, we're going to count, uh, let's see, we've got four programs so far. Now, I would love for some Western expansion. And I think that there's a, you know, but but I also am thinking, wow, Southeast expansion as well. And boy, it's really attractive and to look at a place like the University of Georgia, University of Florida, 
Alabama, you know, places like that. Uh, and I think that that's a place where you could potentially get some traction. And so we've got Alabama Huntsville already. Why not throw a team in Tuscaloosa? Let's see if we can make hockey work in the SEC. You've got Texas, you've got Alabama, you've got, you know, teams nearby. Those are the places that I'd love to see it. Um, and also, you know, those, and I'm just thinking big picture here. You go to the, you go big, you go for the biggest places and where can we grow hockey? Where are places that, you know, either have it and need more of it or have it and we haven't fully expanded on it. So I think really at this point, if I had all that money and I could just start spreading it around, you know, I'd love to see a, a Western expansion of college hockey. There's so much out there, so much potential. You know, I very, I'm was thinking about uh, University of Washington and, and Washington State and, and, you know, those types of places, Oregon as well. You know, those are places where I could also see it being um, important. But based on, you know, where I'm at right now and kind of within the footprint that already exists in college hockey, we can spread it in that particular way. And then I also get my selfish desire of having Division One hockey at Iowa State University. Um, and um, I, I would also, um, you know, I, I think that'd be amazing. It'd be super cool. Uh, but anyway, that's that's kind of where it's at. But I think that we are in a position right now where things could get better and could we could expand down the road. But it's going to take some time. And we're going to talk a lot more. I think I might even turn this into a story at some point on Hockey Sense as well. So stay tuned for that because I've got a lot more to say about it. Well, for just being me, this has been a really long podcast. I really appreciate it that all the people that ask questions, all of you that have tuned in, hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully it didn't sound too rambly. Sorry for my stuffy nose and everything else and, and not sounding the best. But I just want to say I cannot wait for the World Juniors. I cannot wait for the Olympics. I hope that you guys are as excited as I am. And we are going to have a lot more fun. We're going to talk a lot more about this. I've got a World Junior preview coming up with a guest. Um, and, and I'll have more while I'm on the ground in Alberta as well. Cannot wait for all of that to get going. Cannot wait to share it with you. And thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, uh, sticking with me. The code word, if you have lasted this long, is maple syrup. And my goodness, the code phrase, because that's two words. But maple syrup, uh, thank you for sticking with me for this long. I will give you a celebratory gift if you have made it this long. That's all I can offer at this point. We don't sell ads on this podcast. I, am, I have kids. You know the drill. And as we've learned from many podcasts before, I never know how to end it. So I'm just going to stop and say, we'll catch you next time right here on Talking Hockey Sense. Please rate, review, and subscribe, uh, and share. And until next time, I'm Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. Thanks for joining me.